in this country have seen many new faces. People from all parts of the British Commonwealth and Empire and from the Allied nations. These are among the last pictures to be taken in the capital of the Gold Coast. For when this day is over, Accra becomes the capital of Ghana, an independent nation within the Commonwealth. Hello everyone and welcome to Hello from Britain, the Black British History podcast, a podcast focusing on histories of black British women in the 20th century. My name is Sean and the topic for today's podcast is Women and the Movement for Colonial Freedom. The Movement for Colonial Freedom, or the MCF, was set up by left-wing politicians and activists in 1954, primarily in response to the atrocities that were occurring in British colonial Kenya. The MCF's stated goals were to support the rights of all peoples to independence, the abolition of the colour bar, and strengthening links with leaders in African states. In line with that, the MCF regularly organised Africa Freedom Day events in London around mid-April every year. As explained in one of the MCF's Africa Freedom Day programmes, a year after Ghana became independent, so a year after 1957, which is 1958, the All-African People's Conference, which included Kwame Nkrumah, Patrice Lumumba and Hastings Banda, declared that April 15th should be Africa Freedom Day, a day to celebrate independence in Africa and push forward for more political, economic and military independence on the continent. And so the MCF regularly supported Africa Freedom Day, stating that, quote, no nation is free which denies freedom to others. Britain also must pass through that gateway before we can create in Britain a society ready to abandon force in our dealings with other peoples, a society ready to meet the challenge of the 21st century. From the MCF's archives, it appears that their Africa Freedom Day celebrations were very successful. A report from the MCF's journal, Colonial News, in May 1962, reported that, quote, the MCF celebration of Africa Freedom Day at the Royal Festival Hall was an outstanding success. The Great Hall was almost full, and the audience of over 2,400 people showed their enjoyment of the many African, Caribbean, and other items on the programme. The show achieved a record profit of £600. Plans are already being drawn up for the 1963 celebration. It will probably not be at the Festival Hall, but our aim is to make it even better, larger and more fitting celebration than this year's, end quote. This success was despite the declining paid membership of the MCF in the 1960s, where some former supporters felt that as independence was sweeping the African continent, that the, quote, MCF's work was over, end quote, as Joan Hymans, the spokeswoman for the MCF's London Council, said in 1965. Indeed. Possibly due to concerns that support was waning, the MCF commissioned materials explaining what neo-colonialism was to highlight to their supporters that work still needed to be done for liberation in Africa. In a document prepared for the MCF by Leon Sir and Jack Waddis, entitled, What is Neo-Colonialism? It was explained that for the MCF, quote, national self-determination is the first step towards colonial liberation. In our basic statement of policy, the first object expresses our support for the right of all peoples to full independence. While significant areas of the world remain under direct foreign rule and that political liberation will present considerable difficulties, we believe that it is our duty to help the former colonial peoples complete their fight for emancipation. The MCF believe that this is not only in the interest of the formerly subject peoples, but also in the best interest of the British people themselves. The winding up of British bases overseas removes British soldiers from being exposed to danger, saves finance which could be used for positive social purposes and helps to remove potential sparks of a new war. Together, the British people and the former colonial peoples have struggled to end colonialism. Together, we can defeat neo-colonialism and help to usher in a new epoch of peace and progress for all mankind, end quote. At any rate, despite declining membership, many supported the MCF's Africa Freedom Day celebrations, including various trade unions across the UK, some mining organisations, some churches, the UK's West Indian Association, Frida Laxey, the wife of famed economist Harold Laxey, and the National Awami Party of Pakistan. 
And performers at MCS celebrations of Africa Freedom Day included American-British actress Constance Cummings, British actor David Grant, British musician Johnny Dankworth, British Guyanese actor, writer, musician and barrister Sai Grant, and a very young Fela Kuti. In fact, when Fela Kuti performed at the Africa Freedom Day event in 1962, it was noted that he was very young, only 23 years old, but that he had, quote, started his Kula Labitos three years ago and plays at many dances, where his band is highly thought of by those who appreciate high life. He hopes high life will become as popular among Europeans as it is amongst West Africans, end quote. And indeed, as some of us know today, high life and fella certainly became extremely popular all over the world in the late 20th century and continues to be well known today. And notably, there were also black women who took part in Africa Freedom Day events. These included Nadia Katuz, a British Honduran woman and daughter of the Deputy Premier of British Honduras, who was an actor and singer, balancing her blossoming entertainment career whilst being a mother to two young children, Michael and Pepita. Hassan Mike is now best known as a member of the jazz funk band Level 42. There was also Pearl Nunez, later known as Pearl Colomagotsi, a Trinidadian woman who came to England to study law at King's College, but deferred her studies and later became a prominent black theatre agent. Her daughter, Geraldine Connor, was a well-known ethnomusicologist, theatre director and performer. Interestingly, Geraldine Connor's master's thesis that she wrote while studying at the School for Oriental and African Studies, entitled Culture, Identity and the Music of Notting Hill Carnival, was later brought to more attention when academic Carol Boyce Davies, now based at Cornell University in New York, cited it in her book about a woman this podcast will soon talk about, Claudia Jones, one of the instigators of the Notting Hill Carnival. Additionally, other black women who engaged with the MCF's Africa Freedom Day events included Eslanda Roberson, the wife of Paul Roberson, and a prominent anti-racist and anti-colonial activist herself who studied under famed anthropologist Bronislaw Malinowski at LSE. And Carmen Monroe, a British Guyanese actress who has appeared in many stage plays and television shows, including Doctor Who and in popular Channel 4 sitcom Desmond's as Shirley, Desmond's wife. She is also a co-founder of the Talawa Theatre Company, a black British theatre company. At the 1962 Africa Freedom Day celebrations, Pearl Nunez and Carmen Monroe both chose to read poems that touched on the lives of African-American women, already exposing the importance of diaspora to many black women in Britain. Nunez and Monroe, two Afro-Caribbean women, were reading poems about two African-American women whilst at an event celebrating and calling for more African independence. Nunez read the poem The Bessie Smith Blues by Myron O'Higgins. The first stanza of that poem is... Let the peoples know what they did in that southern town. Let the peoples know what they did in that southern town. Or they left Paul Bessie dying with the blood streaming down. Monroe read the poem Billy Holiday by Langston Hughes, which goes like this. What can purge my heart of the song and the sadness? What can purge my heart but the song of the sadness? What can purge my heart of the sadness of the song? Do not speak of sorrow was dust in her hair or bits of dust in eyes. A chance wind blows there. The sorrow that I speak of is dusted with despair. Voice of muted trumpet, cold brass and warm air, bitter television blurred by sound that shimmers, where? Importantly, the MCF did not only believe in liberation in Africa and for formerly colonised peoples worldwide, but for an end to racism in Britain. And that is why the MCF organised a march against the Commonwealth Immigration Bill of 1961. The Commonwealth Immigrants Bill would restrict entry to Commonwealth citizens not born in the UK or who did not hold a passport issued by the UK government. Prior to this, any Commonwealth citizen could travel around the UK as he pleased due to the British Nationality Act 1948, which meant that, in the words of one MP in the House of Commons, quote, if someone comes from Nigeria to Newcastle, although his colour may be black, he will have exactly the same rights as any other citizen, end quote. But this proposed act would have it so that someone born in London could travel around the UK as he pleased, but someone born in Guyana could not. Therefore, it was unsurprising that many within the MCF and their allies, like Claudia Jones, considered the bill to be a colour bar immigration bill. 
Claudia Jones, born Claudia Cumberbatch, yes, you heard that right, Cumberbatch, the actor Benedict Cumberbatch is descended from a family of slave owners, but I digress. Claudia Jones, born Claudia Cumberbatch, was born in Trinidad in 1915 and for much of her life was an active member of the Communist Party of the USA. She was one of the most prominent black members of this party and wrote a famous article in a CPUSA publication entitled An End to the Neglect of the Problems of the Negro Woman. Due to her communist activities, she was later imprisoned and then deported to Britain, as Britain was a colonial mother country of Trinidad at that time. And whilst, as we still know today, deportation is one of the many ways in which people can become marginalised, Jones continues to be vocal in her activism in the UK. She set up the black internationalist journal, the West Indian Gazette, with the support of many other black people in Britain at this time, including Amy Ashwood Garvey. In fact, in the book, Heart of the Race, Black Women's Lives in Britain, we are told that the West Indian Gazette was, quote, produced with very limited resources, but received material and other support from famous radical black patrons such as Paul Robeson, who performed at his fundraising functions, and from prominent West Indian women like Nadia Katuz, Corinne Skinner, and Pearl Prescott, who were Claudia's contemporaries, end quote. In 1961, Jones took the front page of the West Indian Gazette to disparage the proposed Commonwealth Immigrants Act, writing that the act was, quote, aimed at the black Commonwealth only, end quote, and proved that the government was proclaiming, quote, before the world that this is not to be a multiracial Commonwealth, but one in which the majority will be second-class citizens, end quote. Continuing, she explained that, quote, this monstrous bill tips its hand by making mention of application Canada, Australia, the Irish Republic. Its main aim is to cut coloured immigration, i.e. West Indians, Indians and Pakistanis. This was the clear intention of the recent Conservative Party conference in Brighton last month, which concentrated on the growth of coloured immigration when outlining the bill, end quote. Interestingly, at the same conference that Jones wrote about, Harold Macmillan, the Conservative leader, reflected on the importance of the Commonwealth and how the British Empire transitioned to a Commonwealth, stating, We cannot pass a museum or depot of almost any regiment without remembering with pride how much valour has been spent in the creation of this immense heritage. In the next stage, when conquest changed to administration, we remember not only the great pro-councils, but the simple, humble men and women who gave so much to the advancement of the peoples entrusted to them. Now we have reached the third stage. It has been our constant purpose to hold these responsibilities as trustees until, with the ward grown up and able to arrange his own affairs, the guardians can take their honourable discharge. Nor should we perhaps forget, as it is forgotten sometimes, that in the early days it was not a choice between independence or British rule. It was often either British rule or chaos, end quote. British rule or chaos. And on the issue of immigration specifically, the Labour Party leader, Harold Wilson, remarked in 1965 that, quote, There are towns and cities in Britain which are being asked today to absorb a degree of immigration on a scale beyond their social capacity to absorb. We cannot take the risk of allowing the democracy of this country to become stained and tarnished with the taint of racialism or of colour prejudice. I want to make it clear that we proceed from the proposition that everyone living in this country, everyone who has come in or will come in, is a British citizen, entitled to equality of treatment regardless of origin or race or colour. But back to 1961. In her article, Jones continued that virtually all Commonwealth governments had opposed the proposed bill, including Ghana and India, and that it would be better that, quote, instead of a law to ban coloured citizens, there should be a law against racial discrimination. As put by Dr Martin Luther King, legislation may not solve everything, but if legislation will prohibit a man from lynching me, I'll take the legislation. Coloured and white workers, if united, can defeat this legislation, which is just the old, divide and rule tactic to divert the people from the real issues confronting them. Living standards, wage freeze, credit squeeze, threat of nuclear war, not the presence of 1% of the coloured citizens now in this land of 52 million. End quote. She also wrote of a protest meeting organised by the MCF in early November against the bill. But despite the protests of herself and the MCF, the bill was still promulgated into law and became the Commonwealth Immigrants Act of 1962. The MCF still exists today, 
now called Liberation, and has focused on opposing neocolonialism, economic exploitation and racism. The organisation regularly submits statements to the United Nations on human rights issues, regularly publishes analysis on human rights issues globally, and in Britain and most recently published a statement of solidarity with people in Myanmar. So, that is the end of today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed and maybe even learned something new. Feel free to tweet me what you've learned at at Britain Hello. That's right, we've got a new social media presence. I've got a Twitter account now for the podcast. Uh, we're up and coming, guys. <laughs> I've got a Twitter account for the podcast called At Britain Hello. So please follow me on there and tweet me what you learned from today's episode, what you thought of it, and your thoughts generally on what we talked about today with women and the movement for colonial freedom. Also, just to say, I recently featured on um, the History Hotline podcast. That's the History Hotline podcast and the host and I, the host Deanna and I, we talked about all things West Indian and West African solidarity, everything from W.B. Du Bois, Marcus Garvey to Olive Morris and the Organisation of Women of African and Asian Descent. So please check it out about the History Hotline podcast. I was recently featured on that, on the episode on West Indian and West African solidarity. Now, before I go, before I leave you in this episode, I'm going to give you a quick anecdote, which I think you might find interesting. So, Despite the energetic activism of many, the Commonwealth Immigrant Act was, as we know, promulgated into law in July 1962. Subsequently, many people of colour were deported throughout the decade for breaches of the Commonwealth Immigrants Act, and it was reported by The Guardian in 1966 that a 19-year-old British Honduran man, a former lobster diver, yes, lobster diver, was, quote, awaiting deportation for a breach of the Commonwealth Immigrants Act. The report goes on to say that the man, quote, arrived in this country during the summer at the invitation of an Englishman to whom he is related by marriage. The Englishman guaranteed his £65 return fare, but then changed his mind and refused even to add £25 to the sum of £40 offered by the Home Office. As a result, he stayed longer than the act permitted and was arrested, end quote. Interestingly enough, Nadia Katuz was amongst those who campaigned on his behalf, trying to raise money to send him home without the stigma of deportation.